Amen. Good morning. Good to see all of you out at God's house this morning, and thank you for joining us from your homes this morning as well. Psalm 34, as we continue our series on David, the worshiping warrior of God. And while you're finding that passage of scripture to follow along this morning, just a couple of reports. Uh, the youth had a great uh, activity this weekend with their uh, lock-in and uh, time at Elevate. And uh, we'll be telling you more about what that was all about in the weeks to come. And then yesterday, uh, we had a great baptism uh, time at Toby and Marsha's house. We appreciate them opening up their home. And it was just a wonderful day. And we're glad to continue our momentum, if you will, built up over the weekend into today. Uh, if you were with us from the beginning of this series, I've shared with you how God wanted me to uh, one week take a scene or a slice out of David's life from 1 Samuel, and then the next week look at a psalm that corresponded to that scene out of his life. Uh, I thought that that would make not only his life come more alive to us, but many of the psalms that are beloved by us as Christians would even have more meaning uh, when we know what was behind it, what was precipitating it, if you will. And we obviously come to one of those psalms today because if you look even above the psalm, even before you get into the first verse, David writes when this psalm was approximately written. And he says, it was written by David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech. Um, last week, we looked at how David went down to Gath, the hometown of Goliath, and how he basically allowed fear to make him do crazy things including pretending to be insane. Uh, not one of David's finest moments, but we understand from that incident in David's life how fear can make us do crazy things, how fear can control us, how, how fear can, can cause us to make choices and decisions that we would never make otherwise. Uh, and so... David, somewhere along the line, in looking back on that incident, because we know that that's the case of, because of what David says here, that as he looks back on that, he's going to share with us what he learned from that, how he grew from that. And, and to me, that's one of the things that makes David such a beloved Bible character, because we see all the the warts, if you will, on David. We, he doesn't try to hide his struggles. So I actually want to begin this morning in verse 4, where David says, I sought the Lord's help, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. First of all, notice, David is willing to acknowledge his struggles. He's afraid. He's a fearful person. He's a young man who has allowed fear to get a hold in his life, okay? That's the first step. For, for many human beings, 
part of the reason why they are never delivered, why they never are able to overcome and, and get past many of the, the struggles and the things that have a grip on them, they're not willing to humble themselves and admit they have a struggle, okay? David was willing to say, I've got a struggle, and it's with fear. And yet he's saying, here's what I learned to do. I learned to beat a path, a well-worn path to God. That's what it means to seek. That's what that word, in verse 4, when he says, I sought the Lord's help, that is a word that means David learned from his experience of letting fear dictate his behavior that he learned he had to be more consistent. He had to be more faithful in beating a path, in, in beating a well-worn path, in turning to the Lord. And as he learned to do that in his life, notice God took that, that intimacy, that communion, that fellowship with him and used it to deliver him, not from some of his fears, but from all of his fears. God can do the same thing with you and I today. If you're here today and you struggle with fear, with worry, with anxiety, or anything else, as we're going to see, God is a God who can deliver us from all of these things. He's that great. He's that big. He's that powerful that he can do it. Now, go with me then to verse 11. Because notice what David continues to say about fear. He says, come children, listen to me. I've learned something, I've grown, and I want to share it with you. I will teach you what it means to fear the Lord. A couple of things. When you and I allow God to get a hold of our lives, to grow us, to transform us, to, to move in our lives, we will be inspired and, and, and motivated to inspire and influence others. That we, we don't want to keep what God is doing in our lives because we see the benefit and the blessing that it is to be delivered from fear like David was, and he just can't keep it to himself. He wants to influence and inspire others. Let me share with you what I learned through my experience. I, I want to share with you what I learned from my failure because I allowed fear to get the best of me and I pretended to be a mad person. I pretended to be insane and it was not my finest hour. And yet, because he was willing to share his failure, he's also willing to share how he overcame it, how, how he was able to take that and learn from it and grow from it. And you and I should be the same way, that, that as we see God working in our life and we turn our lives over to the Lord and, and we see him transforming our lives and helping us and all of that, we should want to inspire and influence others to do the same thing and to share with them the secret, if you will, of our transformation. Why we are no longer the same person that we were before. To give God the glory, obviously. And so notice he is saying the antidote 
to all of his fears was when he learned to fear the Lord in a proper way. So what I want to do today is I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 34. We're going to come back there in just a moment. But I want you to go over to the book of Isaiah to chapter 8. This was actually a couple verses that I shared with the men a couple weeks ago when we all got together as men of the Oasis and we talked about the fear of the Lord. Let me say this. Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 11. To have a fear of the Lord is not to be afraid of God, okay? I, I tried to explain it, and, and I will today, as that the fear of the Lord is really a phrase that speaks about our worship of God, our heart of worship of God. First of all, it's a word that speaks about focusing on him and, and standing continually in awe and wonder of him, realizing that there is no one greater, no one bigger, no one more powerful. He is above all things, okay? That's part of what it means to fear the Lord. And even God told the prophet Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 11, he says, indeed, this is what the Lord told me. And, and the reason why God was telling Isaiah these words at this particular time in Israel's history is because this was a time in Israel's history where the people of God had no trust in God. They did not trust the Lord. They were trusting in other things, other people, other nations, but they were not beating a path, a well-worn path to God. And therefore, they were living in a lot of fear about what was going on around them, what was happening in other nations, what other peoples around the world were doing. Guess what? Not a lot has changed, has it? So notice what God says to Isaiah. First of all, Isaiah says, he took hold of me firmly that means God, he literally could feel God's strong and mighty hands coming upon him in his powerful grip. And he warned Isaiah, do not act like these people. Do not say conspiracy every time these people say the word conspiracy. Now notice, because we live in a world today where even a lot of Christians are all about all the conspiracies that are going on. God's, first of all, not saying that there aren't conspiracies. There can be real conspiracies. There can be conspiracies that are dreamed up that we think are going on. God's not saying that there sometimes aren't real or imagined conspiracies. All God is saying is if you fear me properly, that won't be a concern of yours because it doesn't matter what's going on behind the scenes if people are getting together and conspiring with each other. If you trust me as the God of the universe who's above all things, then you won't worry about conspiracies. You won't be afraid every time they say the word. And so he says, don't be afraid of what scares them, verse 12. Don't be terrified. Well, then what am I supposed to do? Verse 13 and 14, or verse 13, 
you must continually recognize the authority, the sovereignty of the Lord who commands armies, the Lord of hosts. He is the one you must respect or fear. He is the one you must fear or be in all of. So what God is basically saying to Isaiah is this. The fear of God conquers every other fear. When we fear God, we fear nothing else because we realize he's above all things. He's beyond all things. He transcends everything that he ever created in either. There's nothing greater, bigger, stronger, more powerful in the universe than God. And so I'm going to worship my God with a proper reverence and respect and healthy fear, and yet that kind of healthy fear of God is going to then conquer all my other fears. Back to Psalm 34. So David, in this psalm, is really lining up on that same theme. Because here's what we know up to this point. If you recall the message from last week, where was David's heart? Where was his mind? Where was his focus? His focus was on Saul. I'm afraid of Saul. I'm running from Saul. It's all about Saul and what Saul's trying to do me. Then he goes down to Gath. And what's it all about? It's about the king down there. And he's afraid of the king. And, it, and, and I got to pretend to be mad or he's going to... His focus wasn't on God. His focus was on other people, what they were doing, what they were trying to do to him, and what was happening all around him. His focus was on his service. And he even got to the point where it's like he goes into the tabernacle, asks the high priest, do you have anything here to protect me that I can take with me? And he says, well, I got nothing but the sword of Goliath, the guy that you, you know, slew in the Valley of Elah. And David goes, oh, there's nothing like it. I mean, here's this young man who just a year before was willing to go out and face the giant with a, a little sling and a few stones that a shepherd would carry. And now, in order to make him feel secure and safe, he's got to carry around the sword of Goliath because he's focused not on the Lord. He's focused on all these other things. The greatest and biggest thing in David's life back then and 1 Samuel 21 was not the Lord. It was Saul. It was the king of Gath. It was Goliath's sword. But now notice the difference in this psalm. Notice that it's not that David doesn't mention fears. It's not that David doesn't mention troubles because he does in verse 6. He mentions troubles also in verse 17. And he also says the godly in verse 19 face many dangers. He's not saying that there aren't things that we have going on in our life. But I want you to notice now in this psalm how David's focus, he doesn't dwell there. And he never mentions Saul or the king of Gath or any of these other things in this psalm. So start with me now in verse 6, and let's look at all the things that David says about the Lord. Because guess who's become the focus of his heart and his mind and his life? The Lord. This oppressed man, verse 6, cried out, and the Lord heard. And the Lord saved him from all his troubles. Notice, he's declaring, 
I turn to God, God turned to me. He hears me, and God hears you. When you turn to the Lord, when you feel pressured, when you feel oppressed, when you feel like the world is closing in on you, all you and I have to do is the same thing David did. Turn to the Lord, and the Lord will hear us and can save and deliver and rescue us, not from just some of our troubles, but from all of our troubles. Notice verse 7. The Lord's angel, who I believe personally is the Old Testament uh, manifestation of Jesus pre-Bethlehem, the Lord's angel camps around the Lord's loyal followers and delivers them. Again, David is saying, we have to, by faith, realize that there are invisible protections around us that we cannot see, but that we must trust in. Dave talked about that when he talked about faith and Faith, seeing things that, that, and believing in things and trusting in things that we cannot see. Listen, you might not, I can't see physically the Lord's angel camping around me, but by faith, I believe he's here. I believe he's around me at all times and can deliver me if I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is camping around me at all times, then why am I afraid? Because if something does get to me, it had to pass through Jesus first, and then there's a higher plan and purpose for it. Look at verse 10. He says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Those who beat a path, a well-worn path to the Lord, lack no good thing. Folks, can I say that if we as Christians really believed that verse, our lives would look different there would be a lot more faithfulness out of God's people if we truly believed what David wrote, that there is no good thing that we will ever find outside of God, that everything we would ever want or ever need, ever to be fulfilled or satisfied, is going to be found within him, nothing outside of him. And yet for many Christians today, their relationship with God becomes something that sort of just is included in all these other things in their life that they think that they need in order to live a good and happy and, and, and long life. Because David goes on to say in verse 12, after he talks about teaching us to fear the Lord, he says, you really want to live? You, you really want to live a quality of life and a quantity of life to where you're happy? Then learn to fear God and learn to find every good thing you'll ever want in him. In fact, if you go back then to a verse that I'm going to recommend as one of two verses today that we meditate on and memorize for this coming week, it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible, verse 8 of Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Experience, David says, for yourself how good God is. Partner with him. Partake of all he offers to you. Participate in all he invites you to. And this word taste doesn't mean just a sample. It doesn't mean just to go up to God's table every day and take a nibble. It's the idea, again, that I will beat a path, a well-worn path to the banquet that God has laid out for me every day, and that over time I will realize that as I continue to go to God, how good God is, because God is always good. And David is saying, I had to taste 
and see for myself how good God was. And, and I think there's so many people today, whether they're not even Christians yet, they've never really tasted to see if God's good or not, and yet they reject him. And even many Christians today have never really tasted God. David is inviting us to taste the goodness of God. And then he goes on to say, how blessed is the one who takes shelter, who seeks refuge, who puts their hope and trust in him. Did you notice? This isn't about Saul and the king of Gath. And all. It's not about even all his things that he's afraid of and all of his troubles and dangers. No, it's about God, isn't it? Notice what he says in verse 15. The Lord pays attention to the godly. He never takes his eyes off of us. And again, he hears our cries for help. The Lord, we can trust him, verse 16, to stand up against evildoers and those who are seeking our harm and our ill. Verse 17, the godly cry out and the Lord hears again and saves them from all their troubles. Notice verse 18, the Lord is near, as close as close can be to those whose hearts are breaking. If your heart is breaking this morning, guess what? There's no one closer to you or near to you than the Lord. He wants to come and just literally minister to you as only God can. And you know who can heal broken hearts better than anyone? The Lord can. He goes on to say, he can even deliver those who are discouraged. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with discouragement, our God can deliver you from that discouragement. He can bring you out of that discouragement and set you on a much more positive path. Again, David declares, verse 19, the godly do face many dangers, afflictions, and adversities, but it's the Lord who saves us from each one of them. And then finally, verse 22, the Lord rescues his servants. Over and over again in this psalm, who's the, David's focus is on the Lord and who the Lord is and what the Lord can do. That's what he's teaching us about how to fear the Lord. See, to, to fear the Lord is, is, is really then to, to make God preeminent in our life. To not allow our circumstances, our situations, our struggles, our trials, our tribulations, our fears and all of that to, to be the focus of our life. When I struggled with anxiety for many years, some of you've heard my testimony and my story. You know what was so frustrating and, and, and part of the added struggle was in my mind initially, I thought the way to overcome my anxiety was by focusing on my anxiety. That didn't help at all. You know what I learned? What I learned? I learned that I overcame my anxiety when I stopped focusing on my anxiety and all the things that was causing my anxiety, and I started focusing on God. And God is saying, that's the answer for all of you. It doesn't matter what you're struggling with. It doesn't matter what your fears are, what your struggles, what area of your life your struggles are in. Get your mind and heart off of those things and get them back on me and start looking at me all the time and being a path, a well-worn path to me and start remembering who I am and what I can do. And all of a sudden, you'll start to see that those things 
don't have the grip or the power over us or in our lives that they used to. That's why David is saying, I want to teach you what it means to fear the Lord because that's what it means. That's what it means. And I love David's testimony. He says, I sought the Lord's help, verse 4, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I hope that you believe that as well today that God can deliver you from whatever it is that you're struggling with right now or that's got a hold or a grip on you right now in your life. And because David was just over the moon, he, he, he just couldn't get over how God had helped him and transformed him. How he, he couldn't even recognize himself. I mean, here's this young man that just a, a little while earlier, he was acting like a crazy person in front of all these other people that didn't believe in God. And I'm sure part of what he beat himself up over for a while was what a terrible testimony he was. How here was a a, a man of faith, and yet he was not displaying faith in front of all these unbelievers. He was displaying fear. And I'm sure that bothered David because he blew a great opportunity to be a witness and testimony. But we talked about that. We're, we're going to fail the Lord at times. We're not always going to do it perfectly. But thank God that God is a God of forgiveness and grace as well and always is loving us no matter what our performance. And David knew, I can come back to the Lord and he'll forgive me for that. And not only that, but I'm going to raise back up out of my failure and I'm going to allow God to use the failures and the struggles of my life to encourage and inspire others. And that's why David wrote Psalm 34. And that's why Psalms like Psalm 34 are some of the most beloved for us as Christians in Scripture because it was out of David's pain and out of his struggles and out of his failure and yet out of seeing how God could bring him up and out of all that that you and I go back to these psalms and we get encouraged and we get inspired and we get, you know, the strength of God to keep on keeping on. So with all that, no wonder, and here's where I want to end today, no wonder David actually starts out the psalm the way he does. Because David, in a sense, wants to start out, even before he gets into all of that, by saying, I have have come to appreciate, admire, and adore my God more than I ever have before. Because I realized that as I continued to taste the Lord, I, I realized even more how good my God is and how much of a help he is to me, and how much he loves me, and how he's a delivering God, and a saving God, and a rescuing God, and how he can can help me with anything and everything if I'll just turn to him. So what's David want to do more than anything else? He wants to praise his God. So notice how he starts this psalm out. I will praise the Lord, not sometimes, at all times. And by the way, the word praise means to bless or to adore. David is saying, I've learned I'm not just praising God whenever I feel like it or whenever things are going well. I have learned to praise my God at all times. My mouth will continually praise and bless and adore him. Verse 2, I will boast in the Lord. I will glory in my God. In fact, this is a beautiful word. It literally means to shine on, to shine on. 
Sometimes in the Bible, we as God's people are called light and we are to shine for God. But that's not what this word means. This word doesn't mean to shine for God. This word means to shine on God. In other words, let's reflect all the glory and all the praise back to him. Let's not accept the glory for ourselves. Let's shine on God. Let's, let's put the spotlight on God and let him be the one that gets the attention and the glory. And then here's another verse I'd like you to meditate on and memorize this coming week besides verse eight. Again, one of the most famous verses from this psalm. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's praise his name together. First of all, let me say this. Do you see that David is doing the same thing in verse three that he did over in verse 11 when he says, look, what I've learned and everything, I don't want to hold it in. I don't want to just be the only one. I don't want to keep it to myself. I want to inspire and influence others to do the same, to turn to the Lord, to learn to healthily fear the Lord in order to overcome all these things. And now notice what David's saying. I don't want to be the only one to magnify God. I don't want to be the only one to praise God. I want my life to be used to influence and inspire others. Let's do this together. Let, let's be a corporate body and a community of believers that rises up and let's give God the praise and the honor that he's due. The word magnify is a really great word. It's a word that speaks about shifting our focus off of everything else and making God our passion, our prize, our priority. Making him the biggest thing in our life, the greatest thing in our life the preeminent thing in our life. Now, here's the deal. God is. God is the greatest. God is the biggest. God transcends everything that he's ever made or ever will make, okay? But sometimes as human beings and even God followers in our minds and in our hearts, we diminish God. He is decreased, if you will, in our view of who he is. He's always going to be who he is. And, and even if every human being, not one of us ever believed in him, it would not, it would not diminish him and who he is at, at any point. That's why our worship of him isn't like adding anything to him as much as it is it's a blessing and benefit to us. Because when we see him for who he is and we keep him up there, then again, the fear of God conquers all of our other fears. We have such a better quality and quantity of life while we're here on earth when we fear the Lord as we should and properly stand in awe and wonder of him continually in our lives. And that's exactly what David is saying in verse three. Let's magnify him. Let's make him the greatest, biggest person ever. And let's never diminish and decrease who he is. Then he goes on in verse three to say, let's praise his name together. This word praise is not the usual word that means to celebrate or to, to celebrate in song. No, this word means to raise him up, exalting him, lifting him higher and higher. David says, God's already there, but sometimes in our minds and our hearts, 
we allow other things to become bigger and stronger and greater than God. And David is saying, I had to learn not to do that. At one time in my life, David is saying, Saul was bigger than my God. The spears that Saul was chucking at me were bigger than my God. The king of Gath became bigger than my God and greater than my God. I had to learn to put God back up there bigger and greater than everything else. And when I did that, I was learning that I could be delivered from all of my fears. God wants us to learn to do the same thing that David did, to magnify the Lord, to praise him, exalting him, lifting him higher and higher in our life every day that our opinion of God, our view of God continues to increase as time goes on, that the more we taste of God, the more we realize how glorious and good and gracious he is, and we just can't wait to spend time worshiping him, adoring him, and admiring him. So guess what? We're going to get the opportunity to do that right now. So I'm going to ask Nicole and our worship team to come. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I hope you all are as much in a spirit of worship as you were before the message. In fact, I'm sort of hoping you're even more. Because if you're not, then I didn't do a very good job today in sharing the word of God. Because to me, David is inspiring all of us to magnify the Lord. And I love the fact that David is saying, I don't want it to just be me. I want us all to magnify the Lord together. I want us all to praise his name together, to exalt him, to raise him up, to keep lifting him higher and higher and higher. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you today for this young man, David, who is willing to share his struggles. Lord, he never came across as someone that had their act all together all the time. I mean, there were certainly times in David's life where he was a, an exemplary servant of yours. But we also know many of the failures of David as well. And yet he didn't want to hide behind those failures or to hide those failures from us because he realized, God, how much it was through his failures and through the growth through his failures that he could benefit and bless others. And so, God, thank you for working in his life so that he could turn around and inspire and influence the rest of us to do the very same thing that he did, and that is to make our life all about you, God, to put you at the very top, at the very center, to make our, our fear of you be something that controls all of our other fears and conquers all of our other fears. So, God, today... There may be many here today and many who are watching who are going through a storm right now. But Lord, we're about ready to sing. We're going to praise you even in and through the storms because God, we're going to keep you up there. And we're, gonna, we're not going to focus on our storms and our situation and our struggles. We're going to focus on you and we're going to raise you up in your house today. May you, Lord, strengthen your people through our time of worship of you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.